Amen. Please be seated. Wait, stand, stand up one more time. One more time. Those you in the back, Jamie West, stand up. Dude, I can see from up here. All right, now sit back down. Yes. So power. Love it. Love it. Made you look. So good morning once again. I'm very excited to have you uh, with us on this Sunday morning. I, I have to say, uh, this is this is a happy Sunday as last week was, although Heather's not wearing a new happy shirt, as she said last week. She said, I am wearing a leopard skirt. Um, how can you not be happy when uh, Heather's wearing that? So we're going to take deep breaths. We're all going to get through this together. Um, if this is your first time visiting, you might want to get up and leave right now. Um, so I'm sorry. Uh, I, I did, uh, before I go on, I, I wanted to say um, the crew up here is just amazing. And, yeah. Clearly, we have grown in this area since I was one of our first worship leaders. Um, we've made some improvements. Um, but, you know, I just want to say, it's, you know, Mitch is the guy ripping on the guitar up here who has been late, re- recently coming and filling in for us. And then Aaron is one of our backup bass guys. But the core of our, and very thankful for him as well, the core of our unit, um, Heather, uh, who delivers the, the words to us most every Sunday. Um, and we have a pool going as to what the vision is going to be that day. Uh, it's always fun. Uh, and, and the prayers, and we're so thankful for her and grateful for her leadership in that regard. And, and then we have Fredo and Lawrence, who aren't here today. Fredo is usually, he is the, undoubtedly the smartest guy who walks into this room any given Sunday, and he plays keys for us and has some super secret top government clearance job that he would kill us for talking about it. Um, and then Lawrence, the, the resident Brit that we have that is generally playing the bass, he actually, for the first time in 17 years, has gone home. Um, and he's seeing his parents for the first time in like a long time. So it's so cool that he and Joni are back across the pond uh, in, in England. And then uh, the Bryants, Colin and Jordan, um, who Colin is uh, a guitar player, plays bass. He moves around, plays the steel guitar from time to time. Uh, he's multi-talented. Everyone on the stage is crazy talented. And Jordan, uh, who wails like no one else um, and has just a beautiful voice and and then the heartbeat of the New Heights uh, band, who has been here for a long, long time. Uh, we did a, he and I did a sermon together once, many years ago, when we were faced the other way. And uh, I had him, and it was, just, it was just he and I on the stage, and we walked through the whole, what uh, the, the gospel looks like, what the community of God looks like, and how it takes every part. And, and as I went through, he added and added more and more pieces of the drum set. That is A.J. Navarro, uh, as he likes to remember. He likes to, yeah. And then, um, you know, Jeff and, and, and Stacy, who are up here uh, from the old days, I'm so thankful for them. And, of course, oh, Second Samuel. Um, I've known him, uh, feels like my entire life. Whew. I told him to be no crying in baseball. Um, uh, the tall guy, uh, the doctor, and I have got, go back since our, uh, our freshman, freshman year at A&M uh, when we were 18 years old, me coming from California, him coming from some little town called Bernie or something. I didn't really don't, I don't, still don't understand how they say it and spell it um, and, uh, and have 
I'm going to miss him most of all, Scarecrow. Uh, so, so thankful uh, for his leadership and, uh, and the time and the hours that he has spent. He's not even in the room right now, and I can't even hold it together. Uh, for all that he has done uh, to help shape this place and this ministry and, uh, and the stuff that New Heights has done and gone through, um, so thankful uh, for him and all that he's done. And, and there's so many people on the backside of things. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, the worship team's heckling me from uh, the other room through visual things, which is great. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Debbie Welch, who is, one, there's a few unsung heroes here at New Heights, and uh, Debbie Welch is one of them. She comes and she sets up the candles and she sets up communion and she takes care of all those things. She sets up the blue table back there. And most importantly for my family, she's the grace handler. Um, when grace comes in, uh, she handles grace. And so if you see this short little redhead, uh, Lucy, Lucille Ball type looking lady coming through, she's standing back there right now. That's Debbie. Um, would you thank her for all that she has done over the years? And then uh, you should thank this guy because without him, you'd be sitting on the floor. Um, he is another unsung hero who does so much, and it's, he does whatever anyone else doesn't do, doesn't want to do. Uh, he's the guy who, uh, a long time ago, we used to have this uh, code, I would say Ezekiel. And if I said Ezekiel at any time, he knew to get me a cup of water because I was running out. And it's Ezekiel and the dry bones and all that stuff. We had a little inside joke there. But, um, and, and he would run up. He will run up to you. If he sees you crying, if some redneck-looking guy shows up with Kleenex, um, that's right. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's like, meh. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, he does so much around here. And I'm so thankful for all that he has done over the years. His name is Kevin Workman. His wife, Carrie, has served alongside of him and, and done amazing things as well. If you remember, were you here for the Narnia series that we did? Anybody here for the Narnia series? Um, by the way, if you weren't losers, uh, that, that's, I, I think we peaked then and we've gone straight downhill. That was awesome. And the, the, you walked into a forest in here um, and, and it was in a wardrobe. You walked through a wardrobe in fur coats and that was all Carrie Workman. She has this artistic gift that is insane um, and we're so thankful for all that she has done. And, and for all the people who have run soundboards that have gotten no credit, uh, because nobody really cares about soundboard people until it goes wrong. And then we all look back. Um, and so Dixon and Coke and all the people who have been there over the years, uh, thank you for that. Cindy Boynton, um, who uh, has been one of those key people of New Heights and helped us to craft and to shape and to do. Uh, there are very few people who, when we said, come help us, would go, okay. Cindy was always saying, okay. Uh, what do we do? Um, to the point where she got angry and bitter. Because um, <clears throat> we kept asking. Um, but, but she would then, uh, then also host us over at her home and, and, and make margaritas, and that was great, and it made everything better. Um, that's right. You can't fire me. <clears throat> and there are so many other people. I wasn't planning on saying anything about anybody because I knew I would forget someone, and I undoubtedly have. Um, so thank you for all of those uh, Casey Harris, Debbie Chesney, who are there in the beginning, John Dunlap, who never sets foot in this room anymore, but he was original. Um, and uh, just thank you for so many people who have, who have been here and helped me. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 4. 
And we've been walking through the beginning of the church. And a few weeks ago, when we made the announcement uh, in here that I would be leaving um, and taking a, a new appointment at St. Andrew's United Methodist Church down the road, uh, this, the sermon title, which was uh, created in February, was called Losing My Church. And the subtitle was something to the effect of, Sometimes things must die in order for something new to be reborn. It was as if there's a God... And he kind of pulls things together. This week, the sermon title is Ordinary People, Extraordinary Results. And I'm going to blow your mind in a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsor. (laughs) Acts 4, verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never, to get, never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? They had an attitude. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's going on here? Okay, you have the beginning of the church, right? So Jesus was, was, uh, was crucified, resurrected, turns to the disciples, says, go, it's your turn. Do what I have taught you to do. So they begin. They form the church. Peter is the head of the church, and he gathers the apostles around him, and they start setting up the plans and the things that they are going to do. The Holy Spirit descends upon them. We celebrated this last week, the day of Pentecost, when freedom truly came to the church. And they're released into the community to do the things that God had commanded them to do, which was what? To love and to obey. The two most important commandments, to love God and to love others. That's what they are released into the world to do. So they're going into the world to do these things. Peter and John, good Jews, right? They believed in Jesus, but they were good Jews. And so one of the things that you do as a Jew is you go at certain times to the temple to pray. They're in Jerusalem, so they're going to the temple. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon when they go. Significant time, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Why? Some of you are in my Bible study and should remember this, Eric Revlin. 3 o'clock in the... That's right, your first time showing up in New Heights, and I'm already calling you out. I planned it as soon as I saw you. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is the time when Jesus dies, right? So this is a significantly powerful time when God is releasing things into the world. Here come Peter and John once again to pray at the temple. And as they go in, they pass this man who had been lame, as it says, as we just heard, for 40 years. Dude, sit his entire life, he sits at the temple gates and he begs for money. And what do Peter and John do? Dude, I got no money, but I have something better. You want to be healed? The guy's like, well, I was looking for a burger, but okay. Get up and walk. 
And you know what happens? He does. He gets up. He's healed. Now, they're in the temple courts. They're, they're, uh, they're at the, the transition between kind of this court where a lot of people, everybody could go, into where only the men, the Jewish men could go. So there's a lot of people coming and going. People know who this beggar is. He's always there. But then he gets up. And people see it. And people understand what just happened. Because day after day after day, his friends would carry him to that spot, plop him down, and they'd leave him there to beg, and then they'd come back and get him at night. No longer. He's been sitting in the house of the Lord his entire life. Yet it is when Peter and John come in the name of Jesus that he's healed. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees, they don't take too kindly to this. Why? Because they're mentioning the name of Jesus. And they've just been through this whole thing where Jesus was causing the stir. And so they figured it out and they got Pilate on their side. They had him crucified. Then there was this whole rumor about him being resurrected from the dead. We've got to stop this. We can't let this go on, they're thinking to themselves. So they arrest Peter and John and they bring them into the council. And they start interrogating them. And Peter delivers this amazing speech to them. And he talks about the power of Jesus and who Jesus is as the Messiah. And he's dropping these interpretations of the Psalms that only someone who had studied would know. And this is where we pick it up on verse 13. They're like, oh, aren't these guys fishermen? Who, who are these guys? We know that they hung out with Jesus, but they didn't go to school this is the whole thing, right? Ordinary men. Other, other translations uh, do a little bit more loose translation with that and call them even worse things. They're just stupid, uneducated guys. These fishermen. The rabbis in the room can't understand it because they're dropping scripture. They had just, he, uh, Peter just dropped the stone, uh, the, the capstone thing from Psalm 118. He drops this translation of this verse. He brings it forward like a rabbi would. But they know he's not a rabbi. They know he hasn't studied. They know, in fact, that he failed out. That's why he's a fisherman. He couldn't hack it. So he took up a trade. Now, you may wonder, how do they know this? Well, it was a small community. And the rabbis were an even smaller community. And those disciples were a small community. If somebody was coming up under the ranks that had that kind of authority and that kind of grasp on Scripture, people would know about him. You would know about it. They had never been heard of. So you get a little scared. Hey, uh, you got to stop talking in this Jesus name thing. All right. Because stop it. Because it scares us. But it was just some ordinary guys. In 1999. I only have one minute left. Let's pray. Um, in 1999, uh, we had a series here before New Heights started. And it was in this room, and it was called Ordinary People, Extraordinary Faith. Today's sermon title is Ordinary People, Extraordinary Results. Again, planned a long time ago. Not in remembrance of what this day would mean, or knowledge of what this day would mean for me. 
or in remembrance of the thing that happened in 1999. In fact, David and Donna, none of the pastors remembered it. It was Jenna who did. And it's significant in that I was one of the speakers at that event. It was the first time that I had spoken in the CLC like that. Ordinary people, extraordinary faith. I had been to Guyana, South America on a mission trip with Casey Yates at the time and some other people. And I was coming to speak about it and to speak about the powerful impact that it had on me because it was a very powerful moment in my life. I found myself with the pastor who would eventually start New Heights, Scott Hare. He and I uh, went off by ourselves to this uh, youth camp in the middle of nowhere on Lake Esequipe. And we're in Lake, Lake Esequipe and this huge storm comes up. And we have to go home. To, we have to catch with the rest of the group that's in Georgetown um, and catch our plane home. But we have Lake Isaquipe in between us and the people who are picking us up in the van. And the only thing we have to get across of it is this little boat that leaked. And we know it leaked because we had to bail it out on the way over as we were going. And this huge thunder starts going. And Scott and I are like, um, should we be going? Because it's about to open up, and, and they are, uh, the, the people of Ghana are like, oh, no, that's, the skies are clearing. And we're like, well, where we're from, when that happens, you run. Um, like, no, 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 not here. You're fine. Um, and we're like, oh, okay. So we have breakfast. We say goodbye to everybody. We get in the boat, like rainforest uh, downpour. It was just huge. And we're in the middle of Lake Esequipe, and we're going bailing out, like, Really bailing out. The, the little guy who was with us um, driving the boat goes, bail faster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we make it to the other side of, of the lake, and um, our, our van is not there because the, the road, this is going to shock you all, isn't paved, and the rain prevented them from coming. So we're like, so what do we do? He goes, you hike. Okay, so we hike. Two white guys, two tall, really white guys, walking through the jungle, um, and, and and it was mud. Mud had covered every inch of of our bodies. It was so muddy. It just rained the entire time. We just started laughing hysterically. Periodically, people would appear out of the jungle. This is no lie. This guy came out of the jungle and he had a machete and he goes, "Good morning, white people." Good morning, sir. It's a nice machete, really rusty that you have there. Just kept walking. Periodically, you would see a cow tied up to a tree. You know, because that's, that's what you do with a cow in the jungle, I guess. It was just, it was one of those experiences. It was on that road that I knew I was called. Called to live a life different than I was living. I didn't know that it exactly would incorporate seminary and eventual pastorate, but I was called to follow Jesus in a way that I'd never followed him before. It shook me to the core of who I was. So when this Cynthia Robinson created this ordinary people, extraordinary faith extravaganza in here, I was asked to speak. And so I got up and I spoke. After that, uh, after that event, I was in the, in the CLC. We're standing, milling around, and, and Casey Yates was pointing this little redhead out to me. 
that they had thought all the girls on the trip wanted to set me up with somebody, and, um, and it was because I was an available bachelor at the time. And they thought this other, I was a teacher, and she was a teacher, and they're like, this girl right there. And I was like, no, 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 no. Who's that girl? And I pointed to Jenna. And Casey laughed and said, no way you have a shot with her. You're way too sarcastic. And as Casey always says, you were. You are. (laughs) She's caught up to me, though. That was a significant moment in my life. Less than a year later, we were married down the hall. And then I took her away to our time in the wilderness, Oklahoma. It was there that we were called to go to seminary. And I say we because when you go and you're married, it's we. And then we were called to be a pastor here as we're walking up from the Aegean Sea. We're in um, Ephesus. And we were on this trip with her parents and her sister. And we're, we're in Debbie Chesney and Casey. All these people keep showing up in my life. Friend of the Yates were there. And, and, uh, and we're walking up. We had just been swimming in the Aegean Sea in the city of, uh, outside the city of Ephesus, and we're walking up, and DMAC, David Meniski, is there, and he goes, do you want to come back after you finish seminary? And I was like, yeah, I totally do. I had no idea what I was going to do. And so my last year of seminary, I was an intern here, and I commuted to TCU. Which, by the way, I wouldn't recommend that. It's tough, tough drive, drive, go to class, drive back. Whew. And then Scott went to start Riverside, and I took over here. Now, I've been to seminary. I have sat through the classes. I've taken church history. I've taken theology. I've taken all these different things. But I don't consider myself a scholar. I think I got more out of that trip to Turkey. and I know I got more out of that trip to Turkey than I did in my $85,000 three-year tour of TCU. I know that I've gotten more out of my time serving here than I ever did in seminary. What N.T. Wright points out about um, this Peter and John thing is that they hadn't been to school, but a lot of times when Jesus calls you, it doesn't matter where you've been to school, it matters where you've been. A lot of times when Jesus calls you, he doesn't care what you know, he cares who you are. He's going to teach you. He's going to shape you and mold you if you let him. But when you do that and you release yourself into his presence, then you do amazing things. This is who God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I mentioned Jenna, and I have to tell you that my ministry here would not have been possible were it not for her love, her support, her encouragement her understanding, her discipline. She sometimes makes me do things I don't want to do. She's always right. It would not have been possible for me to, to be here without her. And so I am so grateful that she is my partner in ministry. I look at Robert Shewa. I don't know if you know this, but you're ordinary. 
every one of you. You're ordinary people. You can all say praise Jesus that you have never been to seminary. If you have, I'm sorry, we can commiserate later. But you're ordinary. You're just the people that God desires. You're just the people that God is looking for, saying, you, you're the one who has the power to walk up to that man who can't walk and say, get up. You are the ones who have the ability to love your next door neighbor so much that they understand what it means to be loved by God. You're the ones who have the ability to walk with each other in times of turmoil and trouble when things seem at their lowest, to walk beside them and say, I don't know anything about Scripture, but I know that God is love and I'm here to help you through this time. That's what being a community is about. When I finished, every, every year, I taught fifth grade before I went to seminary. And every year, about this time, I would sit my class, class down because they were going off to junior high. And I would give them this one speech. It was my, you know, essentially, don't die next year speech. You're going into the jungle. And I would try to fill them with everything that I tried to teach them over the year that they mattered that they weren't anyone, that they were loved and cared for by someone, and me. And I would try to teach them all these things, and I knew that it never took. Because <laughs> they're like, it's the end of the year, Mr. Crocker! Be quiet. And I stood up here, and somebody goes, are you, my brother goes, are you just going to go over your greatest hits? Is that what you're going to do today? Like, all right, do you remember when I said this? That was great. You remember that sermon? That was awesome. <laughs> I know, Rick, you got to go. Rick's like, my bus is coming, man. <laughs> I love it. And I contemplated doing that. Not really very longly. What I hope that I have taught you, Rick, most of all, what I hope that I have taught you is that God loves you. That's it. That's every sermon I hope that I have ever delivered. God loves you. God loves you. And if you understand that, you can do amazing things. You ordinary people can perform extraordinary actions. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you have given each of us, for the way that you love us. We thank you, Father. For that gift of love as seen in your son, Jesus Christ, who because of his death and resurrection, we have life. Father, may we as your sons and daughters understand what it means to be truly loved by you. And may we understand that it is not our place to hold that love to ourselves, but to take it into the world so that all may know they are loved by God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.